So in that presentation, you can see the Grace for the City Easter event that we had last year. Now, why are we holding this special event at Westminster Chapel? Well, because we're not just London, Kensington Temple, London City Church, five o'clock service, but we are Kensington Temple, London City Church. And that means that we are a church that's made up of hundreds of cell groups right across the city, uh, lots of congregations and over 50 churches. And so when you see all those ministries and churches and cells and congregations, I mean, even today, you know, over the weekend, we have seven services, Friday night, Saturday night, and then five on Sunday, then the Wednesday, and then all these things going on. It's important for us, as wonderful it is to meet at different levels and in different ways, it's important for us at least once or twice in the year to come together, together. To understand that we may be part of a cell group, but and there may be a satellite church over here and a congregation that we go to over here, but it's important that as one church, London City Church, we spend time together, showing ourselves united. And so Westminster Chapel is about three times the size of this building, which means that we can do that on that Tuesday evening. It's also a powerful way together to celebrate the message of Easter, the death and resurrection of Christ, and to hear an apostolic message from our senior leader where we can gather everybody from all over London that's part of KT, London City Church, into one place and hear God's word to us as a stream in London on that evening. And so I uh, just want to prepare you for that. Well, we are in the middle of a series on Israel and the Bible. And um, today we're going to be looking at the subject of the relationship between Israel and the church. I touched on this in the End Times uh, series that we did when we looked at the last end time revival that will take place before Jesus returns, and that's going to take place amongst the nation of Israel. Uh, Paul says that in the end, before Christ returns, all Israel will be served, will be saved. And um, you can see those messages up there on our media page on kt.org, as you can all of the services that we do. And um, But today we're going to have a look at Israel and its relationship to the church, and then next Sunday, I'm going to speak about a very important topic. We're going to look at Israel and the promised land. Israel and the promised land. We see all the fighting and disputing over what we call the holy land. Does Israel still have that land in a promise from God? Or is God no longer interested in the promised land? Has God moved on? Is it all now a spiritual inheritance? Uh, do we believe that God is going to restore the whole land to Israel? Or is it no longer Israel's land? Is it Palestine's land, as many people in the media say? Well, we will look at the promises of God to Israel regarding the land next week, and I'll be ministering on that. But today we're going to start by looking at the relationship of Israel and the church. And um, if we want to understand Israel... God's plan for Israel, the relationship of Israel to the gospel, and therefore the relationship of Israel to the church, then the best place to go to is where it's most easily taught and simply taught and clearly taught, and that is Romans chapter 9 and verse 11. If we can have the, first, the next slide, please. Romans chapter 9 and verse 11. And 
there are three reasons that Paul wrote Romans chapter 9 and verse 11. If you find it difficult to see where you're sitting, do feel free to move. You won't disturb me. It's, it's absolutely fine. We can move some of the chairs just there, turn them around. So if you, if you want to see the PowerPoint a bit clearly, clearer, you're very welcome to move into a better place. So three reasons that Paul wrote Romans 9 to 11. Many of us are familiar with Romans chapter 1 to 8 because in it, Paul speaks about the gospel. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God towards all who believe, the Jew first and then the Gentile. And then throughout Romans 1 to 8, we have Paul explaining that all have sinned and fallen short of uh, the glory of God, that both Jews and Gentiles need the gospel. He then explains what the gospel is and what the good news is and how we are saved by faith in Christ's death and resurrection and faith alone. He then explains the place of the law and how the law brings condemnation, but Jesus fulfilled the law to redeem us from the condemnation of the law. We then have Romans chapter 8 saying that there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But when we come to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, in these chapters, Christians, I find, aren't really as secure or as um, understanding of what Paul is doing in those passages, and there's a great deal of misunderstanding. So the three reasons that, that Romans 9 to 11 was, writ was written was, firstly, Paul wanted to explain to the Christians of Rome how the nation of Israel fits into God's plan of spreading the gospel into the entire world. Uh, there was a mentality around that was saying, well, God's finished with Israel. Uh, now the Gentiles are getting saved, and many more Gentiles are getting saved than Jews. You know, the initial day of Pentecost and the early church revival was, of course, amongst the Jews in Jerusalem and Judea. And that was a powerful revival. But after a while, the revival amongst the Jews began to slow down. And when we see Paul's first missionary journey in Acts, we find that he be went to the Jews first and he began to get real resistance. It's almost like those Jews that initially received the gospel were part of the Christian community, but many Jews were beginning to harden now against the Christian gospel. And Paul turned towards the Gentiles, and by Acts chapter 14, we are seeing revival amongst the Gentiles. So it seems that seemed to some that God had finished with Israel. They'd had their chance. Thousands and thousands of Gentiles were getting saved. Very few Jewish people were now getting saved. The gospel had now come to the great city of Rome. I mean, God had traded in Jerusalem for Rome, perhaps. And so Paul wanted to say, wait a second, God is not finished with Israel. It's, there's still a plan for Israel. Don't ignore the genetic people of the Jews don't ignore the race of the Jews because God hasn't put them on one side. And then secondly, Paul answers the question, did Israel fail and lose its place and fall out of his purposes altogether? In other words, especially in Romans chapter 9, Paul is asking the question, well, you know, have the Jews failed and so now God is no longer concerned with them and they've missed it for the final time. And of course, the answer is no. And then thirdly, 
leading on to this, some of the Gentile Christians were becoming a bit arrogant in their attitudes towards Israel. And Paul had something to say about that. He says, it's not you that bear the branches, but the branches that bear you. And we'll come back to that later. Next slide, please. Well, the first thing I need to establish, if you go to Romans chapter 9 and verse 6, is when we're talking about Israel and the church, well, what do we mean by the word Israel? Because there's some people, some Christians, that when they look at the Bible, they say that when the New Testament came, and on the day of Pentecost, then God f- had finished with natural Israel. And God had a new Israel, a spiritual Israel, called the church. So there are Christians and leaders that say, whenever you read the, in the Old Testament the blessings on the nation of Israel, spiritualize it. It doesn't mean that God, when he prophesies the blessings on Israel in the Old Testament, that he means the nation of Israel or the race of the Jews. They say, spiritualize it. The Old Testament references to Israel is the spiritual church today. That's what some people teach. But that is not the case. So what do we mean when we look at the word and read the word Israel? Well, the answer is in Romans chapter 9 and verse 6. Paul says, But it is not the word of God. It is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are Israel. They are not all Israel who are Israel. Well, what, what does Paul mean by that? Well, Paul is saying that the nation of Israel has always had within it those that believe and those that don't believe. Those that believe and those that don't believe. Later on in Romans chapter 10 and 11, Paul will give the example of Elijah. Do you remember in Elijah's day, he said to God, out of all of Israel, there's only I that believe. Only I'm left believing in Israel. Do you remember that? And God said, that's not true, Paul. I have reserved for myself, how many was it? Seven, that's right. 7,000 people in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so what we see there is, there is the nation of Israel, but true Israel, true Israel is God's believing and saved people. We see examples in John chapter 1 verse 47. Uh, Jesus sees Nathanael and he says, There is an Israelite within whom there is no guile. In other words, when we use the word Israel, we use it in two ways. Two ways. The first way is that Israel simply means the nation and people of Israel, okay? And Paul will use it in those terms sometimes. He'll talk about Israel. He said, you know, that there is a nation and people of Israel. But at the same time, Israel can be used of those that truly believe, all right? So whenever you read the the phrase Israelite, Israel, you have to ask yourself, is this talking about natural Israel? Or is this talking about believing Israelites, okay? Because it can mean both. It can mean the natural nation and people of Israel who believe and don't believe. 
So if you're a believing Jew, if you're an Israelite and a believing Israelite, you're part of the nation and people of Israel, aren't you? But you're also part of God's true believing people, the church. So whenever you look at Israel, is it talking about natural nation and people of Israel or God's truly believing and saved people? And we will see that in one sense, we as Gentiles have the privilege of being part of the church and that we have been branches that have been grafted in, not to the nation of Israel, because I don't know if there's any, um, are there any Israelites by race here today? Okay, one or two. But we are not, we can't, you and I, apart from you, you and I, we, we can't be natural Israelites because we're from different other nations. But we can be grafted into the believing Israelites, spiritual. Okay, um, next slide, please. So, in Romans chapter 9, Paul is saying, look, not all natural Israel are believing. And I won't go into Romans 9, but when you read it, he gives us examples throughout Romans 9 about the believing Israelites are always those that believe the promise. So, he gives examples of um, um, the children. He gives examples of Ishmael and Isaac. Both of them were natural sons, weren't they, of Abraham. But which one was the believing spiritual one? Huh? Isaac. The promise was given to Isaac, not Ishmael. Both had the same father, but one had the spiritual promise. And then we have the other example of Jacob and Esau, both born of the same father. But who did God choose and give the promise to? Jacob. That's the point. And so what Paul is saying is, look, all the, the natural descendants of Abraham aren't necessarily spiritual descendants. And that's important in Romans chapter 9. And then in Romans chapter 10, we see a number of things that are important to mention before we really finish in Romans chapter 11, which is, is where my main teaching comes today, is that in Romans chapter 10, he says, brethren, my heart's desire, verse 1, and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Now, who is he talking about when he uses that word, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved? Is he talking about, number one, Israel the nation? Or is he talking, number two, about Israel, the believing ones. Israel, the nation. So can you see that when you see the word Israel, you have to ask yourself the question, which one is he talking about? Natural Israel or believing Israelites? And what Paul is saying, my prayer is that the whole of Israel will be saved. The whole of natural Israel will be saved. But then he goes on in verse 3 and 4 to speak about the Israel's great mistake. And the whole of Romans 10, although it tells us about how to believe and how to get saved and, and the word needs to be preached and if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead, you shall be saved. And verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is rich over all who call upon him for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So wonderful passage of simply believe. But what Paul is mainly saying here is he's saying the problem with Israel is that, natural Israel that is, is that the gospel is just too good to be true. 
And Romans 10 shows us that the big stumbling block for natural Israel was that salvation did not come through the law. And they just, natural Israel just couldn't get it into their head that the gospel is faith in Christ crucified and raised, and raised again. And that's why he's saying you don't have to go up to the heavens to get saved. You don't have to go down to the depths to get saved. But the word of salvation is near you. It's near. You just have to believe with your heart. For with your heart one believes to salvation. And with the mouth confession is made. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. But the natural Israel found this too difficult to understand. It was like, no, 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 we have to obey the law. We have to do good works and those will save us. And so Romans 10 explains the difficulty and and Paul was saying, this is why so many natural Jews aren't getting saved at this time. Next slide, please. Now, when we come to Romans chapter 11, which is where I really want to come to. I did want to give a little bit of a background to this. In Romans chapter 11, we see here that Paul is going to be speaking about God's prophetic plan for Israel. But also in Romans chapter 11, he explains the relationship between natural Israel and the church which contains believing Jews and believing Gentiles. And that's where I want to focus. Um, The slide behind me might be a bit difficult to read from where you are. It's simply the key verse of Romans 11, verse 17 that we'll come to. Romans 11, verse 17 that says this, speaking to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish believers, he says, some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree have been grafted in among them. And came to share the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Romans chapter 11. Next slide, please. The first thing that Paul says is in chapter 11, verse 1. And if you have your Bibles, it's good to have them out now because we're going a little bit more in detail. The first thing he says is, I say then that God has not cast away his people? Certainly not. For I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknow. Or do you not know what the scriptures of Elijah, how he pleads with God in Israel saying, Lord, they've killed your prophets, torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So here in chapter 11, Paul makes the point, has God, there it is in verse, chapter 11, verse 1, he says, has God cast away his people? Who did he mean when he said, has God cast away his people? Did he mean the church or did he mean the nation of Israel? Exactly. Can you see again, we're making a decision. Is this Israel meaning the nation or is this believing people? And so he says, has God cast away the nation? That's the nation of Israel right now, right there in the Middle East. This is the race of the Jews, the physical descendants of Abraham, the physical descendants of Isaac, the physical descendants of Jacob. And they're called his people. 
They haven't stopped being his people in this, in this form. Has God cast away his people, the nation of Israel, the natural Jew? Certainly not. And Paul says, because I'm Jewish. Paul says, I was, I'm, I'm a, of the seed of Abraham. He's not speaking about the spiritual seed. He's saying, I am a natural descendant of Israel. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. And that's proof that God hasn't finished with the nation of Israel because I'm of the nation of Israel, but I'm also part of believing Israel, the second way of using the word. So God has kept, you know, throughout the beginning, since the beginning of the gospel, there has always been believing Jewish people. Always. And you say, how do you know that? Because here we see that Paul said, look, do you remember Elijah? I mentioned him earlier, didn't I? Elijah said, there's only me left. And God says, no, 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 I've reserved for myself. And so verse 5, Paul says, even so then at the present time, there's a remnant. God always has in the people of Israel, the natural people of Israel, he always reserves for himself a remnant of believing Jews. Sometimes that can look very small in history, but there's always been and always will be those in natural Israel that believe. And then we'll see in chapter 11, and at the end, just before Jesus returns, that remnant will spread right through the whole of the living Jews at that time. And all Israel, as Paul says, will not only be natural Israel before Jesus returns in that last great revival, but they will also be believing Israel. God will bless his people. And so, um, verse 7, 8, and 9 explains God's plan. And this is a mystery of God, but it's the teaching of Scripture. And this, this is this, that somehow, it's a mystery, but somehow the unbelief of the majority of Israel at the time of Paul was a way of bringing Gentiles into faith, somehow. And we'll see this picture of the tree later, and if I can give you this picture before we move on, it might help. If you can imagine a beautiful olive tree and it's whole and all the branches are there and it's a beautiful olive tree. And then you've got some branches, other branches, wild branches. And you say, oh, it'd be lovely to have these wild branches and make space in the tree where they can live. But you look, you see, but there's no room for these wild branches on the natural olive tree, because all the branch room is taken up. I know what we should do. Let's snap off some of the natural branches and make some room on that tree. And where we've snapped off some of the natural branches, let's take some of these wild branches, and as we'll see, they, that's the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and let's put them in. And that's the picture of what God is saying. You might say, well, I don't understand why he'd do that. Well, that's the way he's working. He, some of the branches are taken off, and so the unbelieving of the natural Jews somehow mysteriously allows room for the Gentiles to believe. And we see this, verse 7. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, salvation. 
but the elect have obtained it and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled, this is the nation of Israel, so that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if the fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? We just stop there. Can you see again the picture that mysteriously God has allowed a spirit of unbelief to come upon the nation of Israel. And during that time, he's making room for the Gentiles to get saved. And so somebody would say to them in verse 11, well, is that it then? Is God finished with Israel? Well, we know that he's not finished because he's kept a remnant, one of which is Paul. But has, has, has the fall of Israel from following God's truth, is that the end for them? And Paul says, look, it's not the end for them. On the contrary, it's temporary. No, he says, let me tell you something. If the hardening of Israel, the nation of Israel against God, brings such blessing to the world, you see that? The branches, if the branches being broken off mean that other branches that were never part of the tree get the blessing of being part of it. So if this thing, this hardening that happens to Israel is the blessing to the world, what do you think is going to be like when God pours out the spirit of salvation on the nation of Israel in the end days? So if their hardening brings blessing to the whole world, what do you think it would be like when their softening comes by the spirit of God? It's going to, the end time revival where all Israel is going to get saved is just going to set the world on supernatural fire. If their hardening is our blessing, what do you think their softening will be? And he, he, he says this, verse 15, read. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world. In other words, their being casting away means the gospel goes to the world. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Now, Paul had experienced this. If you read Paul's missionary journey in, um, in uh, Acts, he begins, even though he's called to the Gentiles, he begins with the Jews. And to begin with, he goes to the synagogues. And he's focusing on the Jewish people. That's where he's going. But after a while, he gets resistance from the synagogues, resistance from the Jews. And he comes to the place in the book of Acts where he shakes off the sand from his feet and he addresses the Jews. And he said, it was necessary for us to bring the gospel to you. But seeing you have found it fit to reject the gospel, we're going to go to the Gentiles. And all the Gentiles began to rejoice because salvation and the opportunity to believe and Paul's ministry was now going to them. So if you want to understand what I'm talking about, read the book of Acts, see Paul's first missionary journey and see how the resistance of the Jews was the very thing that caused Paul then to go to the Gentiles. So the resistance of the Jews meant that Paul said, all right, you don't want it, let's bring it to the Gentiles. 
And so Paul had experienced how the hardening and resistance of the natural Jewish people had meant that the gospel had got out to the Gentiles. And that's what he's talking um, about here. So Israel's stumbling, in my PowerPoint, brought the Gentiles salvation. The Gentiles' blessing will make Israel jealous once again. This is important when we're talking about the relationship of Israel and the church on these facts. Firstly, that we should be very grateful to God that there's room on the tree for us. And um, if, if there hadn't been a hardening, then we may never have got an opportunity. The picture in Acts. What if those Jews had not resisted Paul? Would he have ever gone to the Gentiles? Well, no, he was called to the Gentiles. But you see how, how it worked. And so we would never wag our fingers at the Jews and say, you unbelieving bunch, you had it all and you didn't take any notice of it, so serves you right. That's not the attitude. The attitude is one of gratefulness and thanksgiving and prayer. Paul said, my prayer is that all Israel may be saved. Having said all this about their hardening, had he given up hope? No, every day he said, he didn't pray and say, oh, Lord, I pray for the few that will believe from Israel. He said, Father, I'm praying that your end time anointing will come and that all Israel will be saved. He was praying for a revival amongst natural Israel, even there and then. So although he recognized a hardening, he didn't just sit back and say, well, God's hardening them. Too bad for you. Too good for the Gentiles. I'm not bothered about it. He said, I'm concerned about this hardening. And my response is not to say, oh, well, you're hard and forget. My response is to continue to pray that a softening will come. And then the picture of the Gentiles in verse 11, provoking them to jealousy. What will this be? Well, I believe that what will happen is that the, 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 um, that the, the church, that the Jews will one day see the message of Christ amongst the Gentiles and say, this is our God. Look how God is working amongst the Christians, believing Gentiles, believing Jews. Look at the miracles. Look at the power. Look at the witness. Look at the love shown by these. Jesus said, by this they will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And they will look at that and they will look at what they have, their Old Testament religion, and they will say, this is ours. We want to be part of it. And so the church has a very important work to do, not just in word, but in serving the people of Israel in order that that jealousy, that good jealousy that will bring them to salvation will take place. Of course, the gospel goes to all nations. And, and, and God said, go into all the nations and preach the gospel. And that's what we're doing. But all nations are not the same because Israel are a special people. God called one man, Abraham, to reach all men. One family, the family of Abraham, to bless all the families of the world. He chose one nation, Israel, to be a light to all the nations. And we recognize that um, here. So Israel's rejection brings the world's reconciliation and verse 15, and when Israel starts to get into revival, it's, it's going to be like a resurrection miracle. So when Paul looks at the vast majority of the nation of Israel who are anti-Jesus 
and anti the message, he looks at it and says, do you know what? For the people of Israel to get saved, it's going to have to be like a resurrection from the dead. Because they are so dead to God that some miracle is going to take place. But we were all dead to God, weren't we? Ephesians chapter 2 says, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. We're all dead. But when Israel gets saved, it is going to be like a massive resurrection power of a whole of a whole nation. And how is Israel going to get saved? Well, we read in chapter 10 that if the gospel's not preached, it won't be heard and people won't get saved. Israel, what a privilege. Israel is going to be saved through the ministry of the church. The preaching of the gospel through Christians by word and deed will save Israel. What a wonderful thing. Salvation comes from the Jews. Jesus said that, and it did. But salvation will return to the Jews by the Gentile and Jewish believing church. That's amazing, our responsibility there. And then, verse 16. This is where we get to understand a little bit more about our relationship with Israel. Verse 16. For if the first fruit is holy... The lump also is holy. And if the root is holy, so also are the branches. What does he mean by the first fruit is holy? The lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Well, Paul is speaking about the root of Israel, both national Israel and believing Israel. And what is the root? Well, the root is the patriarch. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you look at the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were, if I can use the phrase, Abraham, Abraham, I mean, it was Jacob that was called Israel and given a new name. But if I can say the same about Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were natural Israel, natural Hebrews, and they were also spiritual Hebrews, weren't they? And God confirmed his promise to Abraham with Isaac and Jacob. You read their stories. God says, I've come to confirm that the promise I gave to your forefather, Abraham, is my promise to you, through you. And so they were the root from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who was renamed Israel, and he had his 12 sons. The whole of natural Israel and believing Israel also came from them. Because natural Israel came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob naturally. And believing Israel came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob naturally and spiritually. You see the difference? Naturally and spiritually. And so the picture is, is the first fruits is holy, the lump also is holy. What does this mean? Well, when the harvest came in, and we'll be looking at the festivals of Israel, not this Sunday, but the Sunday after, when the harvest came in, there was the Feast of First Fruits. And what they would do is just before the full harvest came in, the priest would come out and he would get a sheaf or, or the first bunch of wheat. And he would take that first bunch of wheat, just one bunch, and they would bring it to the priests who would take it to the altar and bless it. The idea being is that first sheaf, that first bunch of wheat 
represented the whole harvest to come, okay? And so when God blessed that first fruit, the first sheaf, when God blessed that, the idea was that all the harvest that was to come would also be blessed. And so what Paul is saying is, if God blessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in their natural descent and their spiritual descent, and that means in some way, Israel is holy to the Lord. Even unbelieving Israel has not let lost its special relationship with God. Why? Well, the majority of them may be unbelieving, but remember their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the first fruits. They were the beginnings. And because they were holy, there's a special anointing and blessing on all of their natural descendants to come. And then the other picture of um, if the root is holy, so are the branches. So all those branches that came out of those roots, the physical branches and the believing branches. So in this tree that we've now got a picture of, in this tree we have a root. And that root is the natural root and the spiritual root. You hear what I'm saying? It is the natural root of natural descendants, the root of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it is also the believing root because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not just natural Jews. They were believing Jews saved by the gospel. Then out of those roots comes the tree, the olive tree, and comes on that tree branches. Some of those branches, all of those branches, all of those branches are natural. Some of them are also believing branches. Did you get the picture? You've got the root. It's natural and spiritual. The root is natural Israel, believing Israel. Abraham the believer, Isaac the believer, Jacob the believer. Natural, but also believing. And out from that comes the tree. And on those, some branches, all branches are natural, and from the natural root, some branches are spiritual too, believing branches. We just read, didn't we, about Elijah. Elijah was a natural branch, but a believing branch too. Many of the other Jews at the time of Elijah were natural branches, but not believing branches. So having said that, let's just read from verse 17. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Wow. We are not, apart from a couple here today, natural Jews. Uh, We are wild. And we could never be natural Jews, because we didn't naturally come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are not of the race of the Jews. We could never be natural Jews. But look what God said. Some of the natural branches that did not believe have been broken off. There's room on the tree. And those that are believing Gentiles, the wild branches, not natural but wild, because we believe, 
we are grafted on. We are, there is a, a way of taking branches and you can graft them onto a tree where they become part of that tree. They, they take the sap and the life of the tree. So the picture is that we, Gentiles, because some of the natural unbelieving branches have been snapped off, we have been placed in that tree. We're in the tree. We're not natural, Israel, but we are spiritual believing Israel. So isn't that amazing? That's why, who are the true sons of Abraham? All who believe. So in Galatians it says, you know, who are the sons of Abraham? The promise was to Abraham and his seed. And who are the seed of Abraham? All that believe in the gospel are the true spiritual descendants of Abraham. Jewish believers, Gentile believers, we are all the true seed of Abraham. Abraham is our father. And he's mentioned this earlier in Romans chapter 4. He says, we walk in the footsteps of Abraham, who is the father of all who believe. So isn't that amazing that we have a spiritual descendancy from all of believing Israel? We're not natural Israel. And so therefore, Paul says in verse 18, do not boast against the branches. But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. This is why we honor the history of the Israelites, the natural Israelites, as well as the believing Israelites. Because without them, there would be no salvation. Remember, Jesus was Jewish, not English. That will surprise some of you. Especially when the rugby people start singing, and in those days, you know, did he walk upon England pastures green? It's a lovely thought, but he didn't. He was Jewish, not English. I think if he wasn't Jewish, he may have been. He would have probably chosen to be English after that. Okay, I forgot we're a multinational church. But, so, Jesus was Jewish. So, we, we are like, wow, we, we've got to be thankful because we're in the tree and it's the roots, it's the Old Testament, right through the New Testament that supports us. We've been grafted in to the vine of God. Do not boast against the branches, but if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, the branches broken off, severity, but towards you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you'll also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in 
part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from uh, Jacob, and for this is my covenant with them when I turn away from their sins. Next slide, please. And so we can see that the relationship between the church and the attitude towards the church in these passages, it teaches us a lot, doesn't it? To be grateful to God, to honor what God has done through the nation, because salvation is from the Jews, to pray, especially for Israel, that God would soften their hearts and bring in the end time revival, to understand that God wants to use us to reach the Jews, to make them jealous and to see the goodness of God in the church and say, hey, that goodness was meant for us too. And to recognize that it's the root that supports us and that we are intimately involved in the whole of salvation, Israel. You're grafted in to the jolly tree, you know. You're in the tree. You're not, there's not one tree that's the church and then one tree that's Israel. God didn't say, God has started a new tree called the church. And all those that believe from Israel jump off the old tree onto the new tree. He didn't say that, did he? No, the tree remains the same. The unbelieving Jews are broken off and the believing Gentiles get to go in the same tree that's always been there. And then this brings me now to the final section where I want to talk about three different views on Israel and the church. Because you will find that Christians and teachers have different opinions on Israel and the church. And I'm going to look at the first, there are three views here. The first two are incorrect and the third is what I've been teaching really today. And the first view is the dispensationalist view. Now what is dispensationalism? Has anybody ever heard of the Schofield Bible? study Bible? Okay, the Schofield Study Bible is a dispensational Bible, and uh, it's, it's published by Oxford University, um, which is a crazy thing because it's got some crazy things in it, and, uh, but it, it kept the Oxford University Press um, going for many, many years because so many Christians were buying it. But the dispensational view of the Bible is this, is that God chops up history into dispensations. And in each dispensation, he treats the world in a different way. Say, so what do you mean? Well, we have the dispensation of Adam before the fall, Adam and Eve, and God treated them in one way. Then we have the dispensation of the fall, when God now dealt with a fallen world. Then we have the dispensation of Noah, where God dealt with him through the promise and saved him from the flood. Now God has a different dispensation or a different contract or covenant with Abraham. And, and then, then Moses comes and God stops his covenant with Abraham and now has a new covenant or contract with his people called the law. And then Jesus comes and God stops his dealing through the contract of the law with his people and now he deals with them through 
the gospel. And the gospel is his contract. And then what will happen in the end times, according to this view, is there'll be a new dispensation. The church will be raptured out of the world. And now God will go back to the way that he dealt with Israel through the law. There'll be the temple back and he'll bring Israel into salvation. So this view, the dispensational, says that God chops up history. Well, it's true God works in different ways in history, but I tell you what, the gospel has been there since Genesis. The gospel is not just, a, the gospel was there in Genesis. He, he shall, um, you shall bruise his head and he shall um, uh, bite your ankle or whatever. And that is the, the crimson thread that goes all the way through. And when Abraham believed gospel, if you look at Faith's Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, you, you get people like Abel, who was a believer, who had faith. And it goes right, Noah was a believer. Abraham was a believer. Moses was saved by faith, not the law. When the law came, it didn't abolish the gospel or the way that Abraham believed. It didn't change it. It continued. Now, this is important because this view says God chops up his dealings with Israel and that Israel and the church are two completely different organizations and have two completely different periods. So God deals with Israel in the Old Testament and then it's a bit like those old video recorders. God's dealing with natural Israel in the Old Testament. Along comes Jesus and God presses the pause button. Day of Pentecost, God presses the pause button on his dealings with Israel and says, I'll come back to you in a minute, Israel. Now I'm going to deal with the Gentiles and the churches for the Gentiles and the Gentiles and the Gentiles. All the Gentiles have got saved. Up you go, raptured. Coming back to you now, Israel. Press the pause, press the play button. And we continue as if nothing's happened. Now, this view is, diff is concerning because it really, it really doesn't say much to do with the relationship between the church and Israel. Because it says, well, today, this is the age of the Gentiles. God's not interested in Israel. He'll sort them out at the end. That is not true. Although, in a sense, God is working amongst the Gentiles, as we've read, and that there's a hardening, God still has plans for Israel, and he's still working them out. It was God that brought them back to the promised land. God is still working out his promises with, to the nation of Israel. It's not on pause. And we're part of that. So we have to remember that. The next view is a view that, that it, there's even more inaccurate. It's called the replacement view. I mentioned this a little bit earlier in a way. And this says, basically, God has finished totally with natural Israel. This view, the replacement. And who has replaced Israel? The church. You've got it. So this view says, at the day of Pentecost, God said, bye-bye, Israel. Not interested now in natural Israel, in your natural descent. I'm finished with you. I have a new Israel, a spiritual Israel, that is the church. And so these type of people, whenever they see any of the prophecies in the Old Testament to Israel, they'll say, oh, those prophecies aren't for the nation of Israel. Those prophecies are for the church. Haven't you heard? The church has replaced Israel in God's plans. Well, will God come back to Israel? Why would he do that? We are Israel. We are the church. We have replaced. So all the Old Testament natural promises to Israel 
we spiritualize them and say, well, really, God's speaking about his people. So we've got the dispensational view. Chops up history, says, whoop, put the pause button on Israel. We'll have the Gentile church, which will have nothing to do with Israel. And then we'll press the play button after the rapture and get going again. That's not the right view. It's close to the truth, but it's not, it's not the right view. And then the final view that is the correct view is the integrated view. And just by looking at Romans, haven't we been seeing an integrated view? We haven't been speaking about two trees, have we? And God said, well, here's Israel, Old Testament, one tree. Finish with that for a while. Come back to it later if you're a dispensationalist. I've got a new tree now that I'm looking after as the great gardener. It's called the church. And then I'll go back to the old tree later. Dispensationalist view, wrong. Neither is the replacement view. Oh, that old tree, fed up with it, uproot it, burn it. I've got a new tree all together. And all my faithfulness to the old tree is now converted to the new tree. Wrong. We have seen that there is one tree. And we have been integrated into that tree. It recognizes that there is a distinction, isn't there, between natural Israel and the church, which is believing Jews and believing Gentiles. But we also have seen just in this passage that there's a great deal of relationship and integration, isn't there, between the two. It's the unbelief of the Jews that gives us an opportunity to be saved. It's God working in us that is going to bring the Jews in the end times to salvation. We have been joined to the same root that they have come from. So there is an intimate involvement, an attitude of gratefulness. Paul is saying, don't boast against it, against Israel. Be thankful. Respect Israel. Pray for Israel. Believe God for salvation in, in, in Israel. Understand that if it wasn't for the nation of Israel, you wouldn't even be saved. And even though they might be hardened right now, you understand this, don't mock their hardening. Because without their hardening, you'd have never got saved. And so you pray for their softening. And, and if the blessing of the hardening of Israel got you saved, what do you think is going to happen to you when Israel gets revived, raised from the dead? So I hope that what I've taught you today, and I've kept very close to Scripture, uh, has given you a foundation for understanding, because this is where it's clear, clearest taught, clearly taught, the relationship between Israel and the church. And that from this short presentation, what you can do now is begin to think and understand when people talk about what we should do for the nation of Israel. Should we go out and send aid to their orphans? Should we do this? Should we do How do we express this relationship? We don't ignore the rest of the world. We're told to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. But there's a foundation here of acknowledging a special role for Israel. And so Israel should, in every believer's heart, from whatever nation you're from, Israel should always have a special place in your heart and prayers. This will lead us on to next Sunday, where I teach on the um, very important and uh, contentious topic of the land of Israel. Has God still promised Israel land? What are those promises? 
What part does the land, the Holy Land, play in God's plans for Israel? What's going on there right now? Should we go and pick up our rifles and join the Israeli army? Is that what we should do? How, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to Palestinians? Do they have a right to live there? Or, or should we go and boot them out? Because it's God's promise. All these are really important questions because we're looking at this on the news every day. And so we're going to go back to the Bible, see what the Bible has to say about Israel and the promised land and what that means for them past, present, and also in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Daniel.